Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. Jumping into a new series, picking up uh, where we left off last week, but the series is In the World, But a Citizen of Heaven. Talked last week. If you didn't hear that message, please go to our YouTube channel or our website, and you can, you can find that message. But um, it's really about being in the world and not of the world and what that means. Because it is a, a command by Jesus for his believers, his church, to be in the world but not of the world. But what does that mean? There's a lot of implications of what that means. And it's been misinterpreted. And it justifies a lot of things that Jesus did not mean to justify. So we're looking at what it means to be a citizen of heaven, a follower of Jesus, yet in the world. And the world, I think some of us would agree, most of us, that it's getting a little chaotic, a little more dark, a little more hateful, a little more divided, a little more mind-boggling. Moral fabric is disintegrating very fast. It's, we see things spiraling out of control. How do you deal with that as a believer? Well, let's look first of all at John 17, verse 13. He's, Jesus is praying. And he says this, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your world, word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So he is saying through this prayer that as he walked, we are to walk. He was the example. Jesus was the example how to be in the world, but not of the world. And he goes, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world because Jesus was sent into the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Keep them from sin. Keep them from being influenced by the evil one and his world system. The world is the system. The world is the system that the enemy has authority over. The world is the system that the enemy has been slowly over centuries and centuries and centuries been cultivating through generations so that it becomes anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-kingdom. But yet, because we're so immersed in it, it's hard for us to know where, God king, where God kingdom, God's kingdom begins and where the world system ends. And we, sometimes we integrate both and don't even realize it, which ultimately affects our mission. It affects our purpose. It affects our life. It affects the fulfillment that we find in Jesus Christ because we get pulled into the world. How? Well, let's look at John 16, 1. So these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to what? Enticed to sin. What things did he speak? Well, if you were here last week, he was warning his disciples that the world would hate them. That the world would be against them. He said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. The world is dark. It does not like the message of the cross. It does not like the word of God. It it can't. But he said, 
I'm telling you this, I'm telling you and preparing you that not everyone's going to like you. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be insulted. You're going to see the world system come against you. You're going to see it be counter to what you believe. He's like, I'm telling you these things so that you will not, what? Sin. He did not want us to be surprised. And he's like, I walked to show you and demonstrate what it is to have people hate you, but still walk as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven. Our obedience is challenged, I think, the most in the face of adversity, in the face of pressure, in the face of others, in the face of rejection, in the face of insult, in the face of darkness, in the face of things changing that you know are not of God. We are challenged the most not to sin. But see, what happens is when we are challenged, when we are persecuted, when there is pressure, when we are hated, when we are insulted, we retaliate as the world retaliates. And thus we are now part of the system. The evil one has gotten to us through his system because now we are justified in our hate and our disdain. We are justified in the words that we speak, the condemning words and the cursing. We are, we are now part of the system and now no different than the world. If we respond as the world does to the state of decay. This is the fun message. I'm telling you, when I preach from conviction, it's because I'm dealing with the same thing. And as I'm doing this, there's three fingers pointing back at me. So, how do we get tripped up by the world system? What does it look like? How can we recognize it? How can we walk differently? Well, let's look at Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. But what happened is tradition and man's influence began to adopt this as a virtue, as a principle. That you are to love your neighbor, the ones that believe like you and that are part of you, but hate those that are against you. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, that is not the kingdom. That is not the kingdom. It's a misinterpretation. He goes, no, I say to you, and who was Jesus? Just testing you. Who was Jesus? Huh? One more time. Son of God. God himself, right? Three in one. God the Son. I say to you, God, the creator of all things, Perfect in love and truth. God says, I say to you, love who? Bless those who bless you. (laughs) Bless those who what? Uh Uh-uh, no way. That's a misprint. Do good to those who do good to you. (laughs) That's the world system. Do good to those who what? Hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Are you serious? Can you imagine how silent things got when Jesus said this? Pretty much like you are right now. 
Did Jesus mean this? Did he mean it? Was he speaking to us? Did he say, but don't do this on these occasions. You're justified. There's no asterisk. I'm going to keep going. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. A reflection of where you are from, of who is in you, of who owns you, of who is your father. That you may share the DNA of your father in heaven. For he makes, watch this, his sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Think about what he is saying. When it rains, it doesn't just rain on Christian lawns. We don't have sunbeams directly on our house and property following us everywhere. It's sunny everywhere. God sustains life for all of mankind, for we are his creation. He loved all of creation. Every human being is God's creation. And he blesses them, whether they like it or not, with the things that sustain life. So he says, he's like, let that be proof of how my father in heaven views your enemies. He's raining on their gardens. He is growing their crops. He is blessing them with life. You want them dead. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? That's the world system. Okay, it's easy. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Nothing is the answer. Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect by the grace of God, Him living through us and allowing Him to dictate how we view our lives and the lives of others and how we view adversity and persecution and pressure and insult. He's like, if you allow Him to work through you, you can exemplify perfect love. And how, who would say that's easy? No. So when, I, when he says the word tax collector, I don't know if that has a, like a direct impact into your life. Like you hear that, you're like, oh, I mean, IRS, but, they, but they're not, and I, no, I don't mean that, but these people were corrupt. This is what was the most corrupt human being a Jew could think about. They were regarded as outcasts from society. They were disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. They were a disgrace to the community and to their extended family. This was the worst of the worst of the worst. So whatever that is in your mind, substitute. It's a group of people that they all agreed they should be despised and hated. What group do you have that should be despised and hated for their actions and beliefs and their worldview? Jesus is using them as an example. All right, y'all. Does this seem impossible? With the state of the world, what people are saying and doing? On, the top, on my top 20 list of 
reactions. Prayer is a... It, well, praying for them? What, that's, it's not... What? Blessing? Not, no. On my top ten list of how to respond, none of that is found. If I were just being honest about Russ. When I read things and hear things and see things. My reaction isn't to do what Jesus said. It's to do the exact opposite. Which is in direct disobedience to what Christ commands us to be. Now, I want to bring home the point a little more. Let's look at Luke 18, verse 9. So Jesus is speaking a parable. And who's he speaking it to? He goes, and he spoke this parable to some, watch this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He's talking to the Pharisees. Self-righteous. Those who think they have something to do with their right standing before God, that their actions on their own, their own strength, who they are in themselves, makes them better than anybody else. They were missing the whole point of the mercy of God and the system of sacrifice that was established that ensured that they would have forgiveness because without it, they wouldn't have forgiveness, but they forgot it and made it all about their external work and somehow that made them better and therefore they could now justify despising others because they forgot who they were. And we can forget who we are, which dictates how we process this world and the darkness and the pressure and the sin. So he goes, now watch this. Two men went up to the temple to do godly things, to pray. One, a Pharisee, the righteous of the day, air quotes, and the other, here it comes again, a tax collector. Jesus, stop using these people as an example. It ruins the story. Like the complete opposite. You see what I mean? Total ends of the, totally different ends of the spectrum. Righteous, the most despised and sinful people that they could imagine. These two went to pray. Now watch. The Pharisee, the righteous, stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners and unjust adulterers or even as this low life next to me, this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like them. Thank you that I am righteous and holy and do so many good things. He's praying to himself. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Jesus is not using this example as a good point. He's using it to expose a heart condition that was very much of the world and not of the kingdom of God. This man was crediting himself for his spiritual walk. He was crediting himself for his righteousness, forgetting that the only reason he even had a chance was because of God's mercy and grace. Through the system of law, which was burdensome, but yet he placed himself above others because of how he believed and how he walked and what he did. And in the presence of God said, I'm glad I'm not like this loser. 
or this person or this people group that believes something so completely opposite of me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these disgusting people that are ruining our culture. that are against me and what I stand for. Thank you that I'm not like these deceived, sinful, disgusting people. Thank you, Lord. It's pretty ugly, isn't it? And very possible for us who walk with Jesus if we forget that we are just like them without the mercy and grace of God. Let's look at Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, the righteous of the day. For you cleanse the outside of the cup. You do all the right things, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy and lawlessness. Holy mackerel. Again, Jesus sees the heart and knows all of us need grace and mercy despite what we're doing out here. The Pharisees were not concerned with the inside. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, you are just like all of them that you despise because it's all outward, but your heart is not broken. You think that you are good in and of yourself because of what you do, but he's like, you need grace and mercy. This is hard. You are whitewashed tombs. What is that? Well, during Passover, there'd be so many people in Jerusalem that they'd go to the graveyards and literally whitewash, paint the tombs, tombstones white so people wouldn't inadvertently bump into them and then be unclean because the touch one would be unclean. Why? Because there's dead man bones underneath. So you have a pretty tombstone, but it doesn't mean that there's not death inside. Again, the system of the world would say, consider yourself better and above than others. Consider yourself more enlightened. Consider yourself justified because of what you believe in belittling and despising others because you do and say such things. And you may, but we have to remember what the inside of us looks like. And the only hope we have is the Spirit of God in us, sanctifying us and purifying us every day. We can't forget that we need grace every day. Every day. You see how it begins to change how you look and see. This, when you look out and see these things, this is what we have to remember. You can be heartbroken. You can be even horrified. You could see these things that are not of God and see where the culture is going and be stricken with grief because you don't want that. This is not what Jesus is saying. This is what happens. 
we forget that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities. When we take our battle from here and make it about a person, that's where we lose. That's where we lose. When we start being aggressive and belittling and hateful and resentful and condemning towards people, we lose. Did Jesus do that? Absolutely not. He saw everybody as they were sinful. But yet we are in a time where it's people group against people group. And I'm not saying you have to enjoy what you're seeing. You can disagree totally. But if you attack people, and if you remove love and grace from people, you've lost, and you've now become part of the system, and you have now stumbled. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at what? So what was he? Right. Insert your people group that you have disdain for, that you can't stand, that you blame for all the problems in America. Insert that group. And he said to him, you sinner. Remove yourself from my presence. No, he says what? You want to know what it is to be in the world and not of the world? Jesus set the example. Follow me. Follow. He went to the center of all sinners. The people group that were totally condemned. Excommunicated. Cursed. And said, follow me. Why? So he could continue being a tax collector because Jesus needed a tax collector on his team? Absolutely not. Because he saw what Matthew could be with the Spirit of God in him. So he arose and followed him. And now it happened, as Jesus said at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors, now people grouped, and sinners, people group, sinners. That's how they were laid. Those are sinners. They came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Does he not know what he is doing? Is he nuts? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go. Now watch what he says. But go. Now here's your homework. Learn what this means. I desire mercy and not your sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And all are sinners. The problem with the Pharisees is they thought they were righteous. Jesus was quoting Hosea 6.6. A time when Israel have forgotten what it meant to be God's people that were more concerned with sacrifice than they were with a clean heart. And Hosea says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than your burnt offerings. 
And this mercy is, it's, it's, it's this kindness and loving kindness, this piety towards God because you know his heart and you're broken by it and you know he is worthy of all things because of his mercy and grace towards you. He's like, this is what I wanted with my people, but they focus more on the to-doing and forgot about the heart and we're not reflecting my people at all. I don't want us to be that. Because guys, what we're seeing is not going away. I know this is not to scare us, but just to remind us that when Jesus talks about the end times, he says, it is the worst time that mankind will ever know. That if God did not come back, all flesh would be destroyed. What we're entering is a time that is unlike any other, full of hate and disdain and persecution and pressure and sin and lawlessness. But the church is still called to shine. It is still called to shine and to be a light in the midst of the darkness. If we keep reacting like we're surprised, like Jesus said, I am telling you all these things so you won't stumble and can still continue on your road of purpose to reflect me to those who need it so desperately. Guys, God knows the state of our nation. His mission for you has not stopped. But if we become self-righteous, then we are losing because then we are victims. And then we can justify our behavior and condemning and hating. Psalm 54, 51, 14. David prays, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God wants our hearts broken. The offering and the sacrifice was all about dealing with the sin problem so they they could be forgiven. But he's like, I'm actually after your heart so you don't walk in those things. Not to make yourself feel entitled and privileged above those that don't have it. God's mercy should break our heart. It should. Does it all the time? Probably not. Now, Ephesians 2.4. This is some news Paul writes to hopefully break our hearts so that we could start on the right foot every day. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Okay, let's stop right there. I'm going to read this again. Even when we were dead, when we were what? Dead, dead in our trespasses, he loved us and found us, right? The people that you might despise the most, the people that you are seeing embrace an ideology that is totally against any sort of biblical worldview are still dead in their trespasses. Meaning there is hope that the life of Christ can reach them. 
and resurrect them. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would be just like them. We didn't deserve it. God found us and we received him. And he nailed our debt to the cross. Not so that we could place ourselves above others as a justification to belittle and insult people groups. And how do I know this, that we do this as believers? Maybe not anyone in here, because I'm on social media. It's disgusting what people are saying in the name of Jesus. It doesn't line up with what Jesus commanded. It's about people, not the real issue. God loves people and is desperately hoping that they will come to a place of repentance. And how do they get that message? By how we live. But are you saying embrace what they embrace? Absolutely not. Did Jesus embrace sin? No. But he led with love and grace. Do you think it's harder to lead with love and grace when people are insulting you? Making your life a living hell? When they live in a way that is totally contradictory to everything you think is right or good? Who, when you're watching the news and see something so offensive about what someone's doing, stop and pray for them? Who prays for the president, as we're commanded to do? Who complains about, maybe you don't, maybe I don't know, I'm not taking sides, I'm just saying. Who prayed for our last president? Did the world? (laughs) Did you see the hatred and the disdain? Did it bother you, some of you? Yes. Now Christians are doing the same towards this president. But yet it's justified because he's against God. No, it's not what the Bible preaches. He places men in way that he places leaders in their place, whether you like it or not. Maybe he wants the church to shine brighter. Maybe he wants the church to learn how to bless and not curse when things are not going their way. Maybe he wants us to focus our hope on who Jesus is, not on worldly principles. And values. If this isn't the most challenging message in the world, I don't know what is. Because if we don't get this as a people, we are not going to win. We're going to be victims. We are not going to have a sense of purpose. We're going to walk around defeated and spitting out ugliness and sin. And now the enemy has gotten to us. We are now stumbling. But we don't know it because we think we're justified. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice that it's the riches of his grace and kindness. Why do we need that? Because we're sinners. (laughs) We need the riches of his kindness and grace. Unending grace. 
We can't exhaust it. And when we know that, when we know that it's only by the grace of God that we have a chance and that we are sealed and that we have eternal life because it's all about Jesus and that we were dead in our trespasses and would still be dead in our trespasses if it wasn't for Jesus, all of a sudden you see your boss differently, your neighbor differently, that family member differently, that people group differently. They are people in need of Jesus that he died for. Did Jesus die for the people you despise? Pop quiz. Trick question. Not even a trick question. Did Jesus die for those you despise? Did Jesus die for those you despise? Come on. We got to say it with conviction because it's the truth. He died for those that make your skin crawl, that make your heart burn, figuratively and literally. He died for those that have insulted you backstabbed you, rejected you, talked bad about you, excluded you. He died for the, they're dead in their sin. Does that mean you're a doormat? Absolutely not. But in Christ, you respond differently. You have the ability to do something and respond differently that actually gives you more fulfillment then it does fill you with decay. Because, I mean, I don't know, maybe you do. Who's ever really has felt so good after cursing out somebody and saying awful, belittling things? Even if they're not there to hear, how good does it feel just to gossip and say horrible things because they're not living the way you think they should live? Doesn't that feel so good? Does that just fill your heart with love? No! No! You see, the Spirit of God in us gives us the ability to even challenge ourselves and say, all right, Lord, help me with this. Help me. This is hard because I'm mad. For by grace you have been saved through faith, faith in that out of yourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. You had nothing to do with it. Jesus did it all. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Guess who, was, guess who was boasting? The Pharisees. Their boasting gave them permission to despise. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And those good works lead us right into the darkness, right into the face of enemies, right into the face of people. And we have to see how God sees them and respond how God, how Jesus would respond. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit and giving him time and space. Now watch, let's go back to the two praying dudes, the two praying guys, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now in the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Notice where the attention was given to his sin and acknowledgement of his need for God's grace. And Jesus said, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's pretty eye-opening, isn't it? These are the words of Jesus. 
To be in the world and not of the world is to first remember who you are. Remember that you need grace daily. We all need grace daily. And there are people doing evil things, horrible things, and there are natural repercussions here on earth. It's called justice. And we're not against that. But we are to see them as God would see them, as people lost, as people dead in their sins, and pray for them. And bless them as they curse us and who we are. Oh. But you all, if we don't get this, we are missing it. If we're only nice to who believes like us, then what is the point? It's no different than the rest of the world. That's what Jesus was saying. It's not hard to love those who love you. It's harder to love those who persecute you. It's hard to pray for those who aren't praying for you. And to bless those who are only cursing. That's like, what? But yet Jesus is like, this is what I stand for. Keep your eye on what is most important. You are a city on a hill. Letting your light shine before all men and women. Especially the ones that will hate you and come against you. And not everyone is going to come to belief. That's not our problem. Our issue is being obedient and trying our best to reflect who Jesus is in those moments. It's hard, y'all, but this is why we're called. If we're not getting this, we're going to get sucked into a culture war that God never had us, had designed for us. Because we're looking for kingdom culture. That the world can't embrace because it doesn't have the spirit. But if we individually can begin to express the things of spirit and to live differently, it makes a difference right where you are. Right where you are. And that's what we're here for. And again, for those of you that might be hearing something different, it doesn't mean you don't have values. It doesn't mean you vote and don't fight for what you think is right. But don't hate other people. Don't hate other people. That's easy. It's really easy. Is it not easy to dislike people that dislike you and to justify why you're mean to them and, and belittle them? It's easy. Come on. It's so easy. <laughs> A lot harder to forgive and to love. <laughs> but we have hope, don't we? Because you're called. You're called. And you're called to reflect Jesus right where you are. And your battle is not against the people. It's against the enemy, the spiritual principalities, the forces that we can't see, but they're very much at work. There's a real war going on in the heavens. And God wants people saved. Not converted to an ideology, but saved. Amen. Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not even going to pray yet. This is what we're going to do. We're going to put this into practice. <clears throat> Every one of you, think of someone that you would consider an enemy. Maybe it's a people group. Maybe it's a leader. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's this. Think of someone that you would say is against you and makes your blood boil. We're going to take time to pray for them right now we're going to pray for them and if your heart is saying heck no we need to deal with that 
Would Jesus say, well, you're justified. Don't do that. That's okay. You've lost the battle. Let's take some time to pray for those and bless those who persecute us and have harmed us. It's not justifying what they've done. It's not excusing what they've done. But it's following the command of Jesus to know that our hope and our life rest in him, not in people. And we pray for them. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.